Greetings, seam heads. It is opening day on the Blake Street Irregulars podcast. If you're as excited as I am, then you're probably having a hard time staying in your seat. But uh, there's so much to talk about. We had to get an opening day podcast under our belt. We might even do a special edition uh, tomorrow to recap what happened on the Rockies' first game of what we expect to be a huge, huge 2018 season. I am Casey Light. This is the Blake Street Irregulars podcast presented by Tap 14. We are counting down the days until we will be over on 20th and Blake Street. And until then, we will be at 1920 Blake Street at Tap 14 with their 70 Colorado beers on tap, 100 Colorado distilled spirits, and Chef Taylor Creedon's amazing American Alpine fare that is locally sourced and rotates seasonally. They have those terrific rooftop views all year round. It is an absolutely gorgeous day. Started out a little snowy here in the Mile High City this morning, uh, but in typical Colorado spring fashion, it's a gorgeous day outside. Perfect day to get out to Tap 14. This is the Blake Street Irregulars podcast, and I am very, very excited to be joined today by Anilo Piro, who is the primary beat reporter for the Colorado Rockies here at Mile High Sports. Anilo has a piece up this morning about Ian Desmond, a really interesting story uh, because, boy, Ian Desmond is the big question mark heading into this season. Uh, Anilo, you had a chance to speak with Desi during spring training while you were down there. Uh, and we've seen a little bit of, of maybe more focus on what to expect from him this season in the last couple of weeks. But there's still a ton of question marks about Ian Desmond and his role with the Colorado Rockies in 2018. Yeah, so I was down there, you know, around mid-spring training, I think I would say. I think it was, what, the second or third week of March is when I was down there. So, you know, well into, you know, spring training in terms of them playing games, having um, reps under their belts and whatnot. And, I, you know, for me, one of the biggest storylines that I was looking into entering this season, obviously first base was a big issue, but how were they going to utilize Ian Desmond just all around? Were they going to stick him more in left, more in first base? Where was he going to hit in the lineup? And, you know, I remember Patrick Saunders of the Denver Post reporting early on in spring training that Desmond's said that he was expecting to play more outfield as opposed to first baseman entering camp. So I kind of went in there, followed up with some questions with Desi, just trying to get something out of him just to see, you know, what his feel was for the season. And he basically looked at me, I don't know. He, he does not know where he's going to play, you know, at this point in time. Obviously, I haven't had a chance to, um, to talk to him since I haven't been down there. Um, but... From what I was understanding, he hasn't been really given any clarity in terms of, is he going to play more first base? Is he going to play more left field? Are they going to maybe stick him at shortstop if they absolutely want to? So there's really kind of an interesting conundrum surrounding the Ian Desmond situation. Uh, and, you know, he kind of gave me an interesting quote when I also talked about him bat at where he wanted to bat in the lineup. Because before the Rockies re-signed Carlos Gonzalez, they were experimenting with a medley of different guys at the top of that lineup hitting leadoff, which included Desmond. And, you know, he kind of came back at me with, and you could read this on MileHighSports.com of, I'm not getting any younger. You know, I've hit leadoff before, and I could definitely probably do it again, but he even then threw in a quote about, you know, Charlie Blackman has a 500 OPS and whatnot. I think I have a career 320 OPS. That doesn't make much sense. I think I would let down the fans. To me, you know, reading between the lines, that essentially means I don't want to hit leadoff if I don't really have to. That compounded, you know, with the issues of not knowing where he's going to play in the field and hitting the lineup. So there's a lot of Interesting things, I think we could say, to say the least, regarding Ian Desmond. Yeah, and, and this season, so much, I think, really will hinge on whether Ian Desmond has success or not. L look, we know this Rockies lineup is going to be stacked regardless of where he hits, but we've 
you mentioned the consistency, and I think that's really the key that that this conversation is all about is that Ian Desmond wants consistency. We know that this lineup is stacked. Um, a good estimation of where Ian Desmond is going to be hitting in this lineup, at least in the early going, we can draw from the final spring training game. Um, Bud Black, as usual, is little slow to release his opening day lineup. We're not going we haven't seen it quite yet here as we record mid-morning on Thursday. But Ian Desmond hit sixth. He hit behind Trevor Story and ahead of Gerardo Parra uh, in that final spring training game that, that really looked like what we would expect the, the top eight to be. Really, there's there's a question of who's going to be that four, five, six, seven. And and in that group, Carlos Gonzalez, Trevor Story, Ian Desmond, and Gerardo Parra. Really, any one of those guys could fit in any of those four spots. Um, so where Ian Desmond hits in the lineup is, is definitely a big question mark. I think it's safe to say we've moved past at this point, the the experiment of Ian Desmond hitting leadoff, yeah. and and I think that was you, when you talked about this earlier. You talked about how I'll, I'll say it because you didn't, and, and Ian Desmond's didn't say it, but I will say it. He kind of got jerked around at the at the start of spring training, and I don't think that was necessarily his fault. And I won't even blame Bud Black necessarily. Uh, the Rockies did not know yet what their plan was for. Carlos Gonzalez, and they weren't 100% sold on Mike Talkman, David Dahl, or Ramel Tapia stepping in into potentially a starter's type of a role. They didn't know what the situation was at first base. I, I think Ian Desmond was a victim of some tough circumstances because the Rockies, I think in their heart of hearts, were trying to get him on the field any way they could. So it was left field initially, trying to get Ryan McMahon some opportunities. He really shined, but boy, is Ryan McMahon ready at 23 years old to take on a full-time starting role. If we bring back Carlos Gonzalez, that moves Ryan McMahon out of first base. I, I think more than anything else, Ian Desmond was a victim of some circumstances and some uncertainty that the Rockies need to plan for the future, but at the same time, they want to make sure that he gets on the field as much as possible right now. But man, he's really kind of having to take one for the team and be this, as you mentioned it, this very flexible guy who can be willing to do anything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was certainly the vibe that I kind of picked up. And in the story on MileHighSports.com, he kind of gave a quote, you know, talking about bouncing around the infield or in the infield and the outfield saying I can kind of make my own position of sorts out of that and I think you know to his credit that's difficult to kind of you know handle especially being a, a veteran player you signed here to play one position for the most part to play first base um, but he's been a pro's pro you know he he is you know kept his head down he does his work and look to his credit I mean not to his credit it, it is difficult to you know really settle into a groove when you're being jerked around the lineup or being jerked around the field I, I think you know you know for the most part that baseball players are creatures of habit they like to be With as consistent as possible. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see, you know, how it plays out. But, you know, going back to when he did sign this contract, he was signed to play first base, but he was a converted shortstop and he played a lot of outfield with Texas. So I think, you know, the expectation when he signed that deal was to majority play first base. Obviously, the circumstances have changed. But I think, you know, he in the back of his mind, I think he knew this was a possibility. Yeah, he had to. But there was some things that were a little maybe disconcerting early on in the spring that we saw from from Desi. He was in that, one for 31. Well, not just yeah. not just the at-bats, but even, I mean, the fact that, and take this for what it's worth, he was one of, if not the last guys to arrive at spring training. Uh, when he showed up, he was interviewed and said, I haven't taken ground balls at first base. I've been taking fly balls in the outfield in my own time in the offseason. And, you know, I, I think from an outsider's perspective, from, from you know, pundits like us, from guys who are sort of, uh, you know, in the business to, to 
rake a little muck. <laughs> you could read into those as really negative things. Of Well, Ian, you knew you were going to be potentially in at first base. Why weren't you taking first base reps? Y- you... You know, you didn't have to be the last guy to show up. Why were you one of the last guys to show up? Um, you know, I think there's there's ways to read into that, but I, I don't want to do that too much because yeah. I think that's unfair to Ian Desmond. Uh, we have an awesome feature written by Vanessa Hughes on Ian coming up in the uh, the April issue of Mile High Sports magazine. It will also be available on milehighsports.com. Uh, Ian Desmond is a very enigmatic character. I will put it that way because you know and I know, having been in that clubhouse, he's a little standoffish. He's not the most approachable guy, at least in the clubhouse. Um, Once you get to know him, he's a very good dude, and we'll talk to you all day long, and we'll give you what you want. Uh, But there's there's a little bit of a barrier there, at least initially. And I I think people sometimes, they see, you know, he he can sometimes have a little bit, even on the field, a surly look to him. He, He kind of has this sense of... You know, he doesn't belong with the group. He's not the the fun, smiling guy that Gerardo Parra is. Um, he's not the, you know, the hardcore, serious worker that Nolan Arenado is. He, he's he's hard to pin down exactly, but he's also incredibly involved in the community. He's also a really giving guy with his time. Um, he's great with kids. Uh, does some amazing things for the Colorado Rockies organization. I mean, he won the MLB Heart and Hustle Award for both franchises that he played prior to coming to Colorado, including winning it multiple years in a row. In Washington. And so I really, I think the takeaway from Vanessa's story is that we didn't see the real Ian Desmond last year. I agree. And, and I think in the early part of spring training, we also didn't see the real Ian Desmond because he was getting jerked around so much. And again, I, I use that term very loosely. It's not a, meant to be negative necessarily. Um, that was sort of the, the product of it. And it's, it's tough for a guy like Desmond because he is a pro's pro, but you would love to be able to give a guy like him more consistency. Absolutely. And, you know, I think this, you know, kind of dates back to, you know, why all this is happening surrounding Desmond. This dates back to when he first signed, you know, in his first spring training, obviously going down with the hand injury. That kind of put a thorn in the side in the sense of trying to settle into a routine. Then he comes back in the middle of the year trying to learn a new position. He even said outfield is still kind of a new position to him. He's not extremely comfortable there. So I think all around, you know, that mixed with Listen, he didn't have a great year last year, and when he played, I think he hit 276 in his time as a Rocky last year, which is good. But you know, when you give him the largest con- contract in franchise history, I think you expect a little bit of more, a little bit more from him. Um, there, there is certainly, I don't know if people talk about it, but there is added pressure, you know, for Ian Desmond to live up to the quote-unquote hype this year to the contract. Yeah, and that contract, it's you know, it's not the biggest overall contract that the Rockies ever handed out. Mike Hampton gets that yeah. honor. It's oh the biggest God. per year contract, mm-hmm. though. Um, obviously, a shorter term, but more total dollars per year for Ian. And Desmond, uh, you're, yeah, yeah, I know. Ugly, ugly memories there, folks. We don't have to worry about those anymore. Uh, and in fact, just to, to make another connection and, and another plug for Mile High Sports Magazine, Mike Hampton features prominently in Doug's story uh, on the, Doug Ottawa, who you heard last uh, in our last podcast. Uh, on that, uh, his piece on the pitchers talks a lot about how the Mike Hampton contract has affected the Rockies even to this day. Um, So make sure that you pick up a copy of that. It will be available on newsstands here very, very shortly. It'll be available on opening day for those of you that are downtown. Look around the different uh, bars and restaurants down around the area, including Tap 14, uh, the presenting sponsor of this very podcast. Uh, Look for an awesome... um, We'll call it classic TV-inspired cover. I know what you're talking about. I don't want to give too much away. um, but uh, I think that might take the crown as best MHS magazine cover. Oh, wow. I I think. I've seen the concept art. Wow. It's it's creative and fun. We had a a good time with it. We'll leave it at that. Um, But, yeah, you know, that expectation that you talked about with Ian Desmond was – 
it's it's funny because yes, fans were talking about it, but I I almost got the sense that it was more up, that it was built up more by Ian himself than it was by the fans or even the organization or even the media necessarily. Yes, he got paid a, a big sum of money, um, and everybody was disappointed that he wasn't on the field and, and with, with the outcome. Um, you mentioned it, the batting average, uh, 274, his batting average, his on-base percentage, 326, his slugging percentage, 375 uh, for the year. So, you know, I mean, uh, an okay, a passable uh, numbers at Coors Field for a guy conceivably hitting as we mentioned in the six hole, I mean, you'd take that probably from from a, a lesser paid person. Uh, but I think a lot of that, that pressure was from Ian himself. I don't think it was as much coming from us or from the organization. I, I say us being fans and the media. I, I mean, I agree to a certain extent with that. And I think, you know, I think there was a little bit of pressure from the fans and the media, more so because, I mean, you probably remember this, when they signed Ian Desmond, everyone was kind of confused because they didn't really know why they signed him. I mean, we obviously know he's a well-versed player. I think he's a two-time All-Star, and he's proven to be you know, a solid all-around baseball player, but he didn't necessarily fill a need right away. You know what I'm saying? And what? they were trying to convert him to first base. There was, a, there was a lot of confusion surrounding that signing. Here is what I will say about Ian Desmond, and I, I think Ian Desmond and... I think he benefited from what we saw from names like Mark Reynolds, names like Michael Kadire, right? Guys who came in who, I mean, when you signed Michael Kadire, did you ever think Michael Kadire was going to be a batting champion? That's ridiculous, but no. Right? Yeah, it's just it's that's crazy that he actually you, won a batting so, title. And that's and that's my point is that they they looked at a profile of a particular type of a player and said, "This player can go from good, consistent, solid major league player to a significant contributor yeah. when they're playing at Coors Field. So I think what was happening was Ian Desmond cashed in on the previous success of Justin Morneau, yep. of those types of guys that, that have come to Colorado and had success. Even uh, we saw with Mark Reynolds in years prior, Mark Reynolds is still the strikeout machine that he's always been, but they said, boy, if we could, because the, the vision was, let's replace a Mark Reynolds with an, with an Ian Desmond mm -hmm. type, right? That was sort of the plan um, because they thought, boy, Maybe the home home run totals won't be as high, but the doubles will go up. He'll have you know uh, he'll score more runs, less strikeouts. Batting average will go up. We'll trade some big bomb home runs like we get from Mark Reynolds uh, in that year prior for a guy who maybe hits with a little bit more consistency and average. Then they had to make the you know for lack of a better term the booty call to Reynolds uh, when when Desmond was hurt. And so, you know, and Reynolds obviously went on to have that, you know, epic first half cooled down significantly in the second half. But that first half that Mark Reynolds had last year really off is what charts. pushed. Yeah, it was off. The, it was great. I mean, he was in the all star conversation and and <laughs> probably maybe, you know, just by the numbers should have should have been there. Um, obviously, we know Mark Reynolds, you know, if you're going with Goldschmidt or Reynolds, you're oh, going to yeah. take Goldschmidt all day long. Uh, but but the reality is that he he was so good in that first half. And, and the irony of that really is that that Ian Desmond, the year prior, when he earned an all star nomination with Texas as an outfielder was because he was so strong yep. in that first half. So kind of some ironies there um, in all of that. But uh, it's understandable why the Rockies could not 
move on from Mark Reynolds mid-year, given the year that Reynolds was having, and why it was so difficult. You know, there were so many pieces going on with with cargo struggles that impacted the way that the outfield was was shaping up. The fact that Gerardo Parra kind of came out of nowhere. I shouldn't say came out of nowhere, but really elevated his game Bounced to a level. Back. Yeah, elevated yeah, his game to a level that that you didn't think maybe a guy like Gerardo Parra was capable of doing necessarily. Um, and so, you know, maybe that's a good corollary is what we saw from Gerardo Parra in 2016 to 2017. Can we see something similar with Ian Desmond from 2017 to 2018? That's an absolutely fantastic point, you know, because I think Gerardo Parra is a guy that has never been overwhelming per se, you know, in his baseball career of being, you know, a standout guy. And he used Coors Field to his advantage, uh, uh, you know, to the fullest extent last year. I mean, he was awesome. Obviously, a batting average over 300. Um, I, I agree with you on that, Casey. That's a great parallel to kind of draw that, you know, can Ian Desmond kind of channel some of that Gerardo Parra mojo that he brings throughout <laughs> the clubhouse and whatnot into 2018? And I absolutely think he can. You know, I, I think a lot of Rockies fans are, are ready to almost throw in the towel on Ian Desmond. Which is crazy. It really is. Look, this guy's a two-time All-Star. He's a proven commodity. He's been a solid all-around Major League Baseball player. He's 32 years old. He's got plenty left in the tank. I think the big biggest issues that have been holding him back have just been settling in. Obviously, shifting around the diamond and in the lineup don't help, but as he starts to get a little bit more comfortable, I think you'll see the production up as well. Well, that's what I was just going to ask you is, what is it going to take? Because I, I think you and I are both in agreement that it, it takes consistency and it takes routine. Um, he has been really, really good about being a team player and willing to move around. And I mean, even the, the quote, I, I love this quote from him um, in, in your story. He says something to the effect of uh, that he's willing to move around anywhere on, on the on the on the diamond. He'll play wherever he needs to. But he even said something um, that he'd be. He might play five innings at one position and four innings at another. Yep. Um, I don't think that's good for him, though. I don't, I don't. It's not good for any player. It really isn't. I mean, like, if, like even if you're Nolan Arenado, who's a baseball just god at this point in time at third base, it, that is going to mess things up. Look at Charlie Blackman. Why is Charlie Blackman Blackman able to be so good year in and year out? Because he hits leadoff every single game, and he plays center field every single game. And he's obviously a creature of habit to the fullest extent, but those are that's half the battle for Charlie in terms of being as good as he is. You can't expect... Ian Desmond to be an all-star caliber player when if you utilize him in a role like Alexi Amarista. Exactly. You you don't have all-star utility players. That's, even though he's... And, and, and maybe that's the best way to describe it, is that they need to stop thinking of him as much as a utility player and start thinking about him as their everyday first baseman, which is a good opportunity for us to transition because I know that you are very, very high on Ryan McMahon. Yes, Obviously earned his first MLB opening day roster, so congratulations to you, Ryan. Uh, well-deserved and well-earned, but when we talk about the circumstances surrounding Ian Desmond's role with this club, Ryan McMahon certainly does not make it any easier because if Desmond struggles defensively at all in adapting or if Desmond isn't hitting... Or is there some nervousness that they could have a short leash with Ian Desmond and see what they have in Ryan McMahon and further complicate this issue, maybe make things worse for Ian Desmond? I mean, I think so to a certain extent, but I don't think you could look at it through that lens. Listen, if Desi does not perform, you can't play him. 
I mean, the Rockies are trying to make the postseason in an ultra-competitive National League. We saw Greg Holland is now going to sign with the, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals. The Mets are looking good this year. Brewers make upgrades. The Diamondbacks are still going to be good. There's no time to dilly-dally for the Rockies. If Desmond is not producing in that lineup, and Bud Black and the rest of the you know coaches and ownership group think McMahon can kind of supplement that offense that they need while playing an adequate first base, I, I think they're going to make the move. And I listen, sucks to suck for Ian Desmond, but that's just might what, that's just might what happened. I mean, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah, I... I don't have a whole lot of confidence in... Look, the Rockies have seen historic performances from rookies basically two years in a row. Um, You know, they they got it from David... Well, I shouldn't say two years in a row, but from two guys over the past two years. They got it from Trevor Story in the first half of 2016. They got it from David Dahl in the second half of 2016. 2017 was a a comeback-to-earth type of a year for Trevor Story. But, But really, in order for this thing to truly click and work, I mean, for me, Ryan McMahon has to be that good that fast in the limited opportunities that he's going to get in order to unseat Ian Desmond. Because, again, we're talking talking about a guy who is a two-time all-star at multiple positions and a three-time silver slugger. He's a bona fide major leaguer that you're paying big big money to. I mean, to me, if you're going to to move Ian Desmond out of a starting role and into more of a flex utility role or platooning him or anything like that, he's got to be playing down at the level of where maybe like Carlos Gonzalez was last year. I mean, you saw that even with Trevor Story, they didn't do that last year. For as much as Trevor Story struggled in a position where they were really depending on him to be a power bat and and up his batting average, and he didn't do that, mm-hmm. um, and they still they hung in there with Trevor Story. So you know, I, I just I I know you love Ryan McMahon and have a lot of confidence for him. My I don't think they can fall too in love with him. I think they need to stick with Ian Desmond, especially because. They're going to need to rely on Ian Desmond next year one way or the other. Whether Carlos Gonzalez is back or Charlie Blackman is back or Gerardo Parra's option is picked up. Yeah, they might have to shift Ian Desmond back into the outfield, which, okay, another moving part for Ian Desmond next year. Uh, but at least he'll have had a full year of consistent play under his belt as opposed to this weird idea of platooning him with Gerardo Parra in the outfield with a left or a right matchup or platooning him at first base, um, you you know, or or this hybrid role that they're playing. He just needs to get on the field and stick somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And he does need to stick, but it has to be at an adequate level to justify continue playing him, you know. And, you know, this is all very interesting because two years ago, right, I think it was two years ago when McMahon had a really down year in the minor leagues that everyone thought, oh, McMahon's not going to be up till 1920. And he really just killed it last year in AAA and AA. I think he had a uh, uh, batting, average, batting average of 337 combined. Um, but he had a great spring, 319 batting average. This guy has proven, obviously, to Buddy Black and the rest of the Rockies' ownership and a management group that he is ready for the opportunity to play at the big league show. So, listen, is Ryan McMahon your best option at first base right now? Probably not. But if Ian Desmond struggles at the gate and you think McMahon can up the production over Desi, I think you have to play him. So that's why there's pressure on Desi to perform. Yeah, I- I just get nervous of the amount of time that it's going to take for him to adjust to that major league level. We saw, I mean, obviously he had very limited action last year. Limited and uh, in garbage and, time, let's be honest. Yeah, and Pinch hit opportunities, eighth, ninth inning. Yep. But he's not going, set up for success. But but the reality is his his opportunities are going to be about that early very on in true. the year, too. Because, again, they've put a lot of money into Ian Desmond. They have confidence in, in him. Um, maybe that hasn't been explicitly stated, at least not in the conversations that you've had. I'd be willing to, to say, though, that Bud Black has 
probably had those conversations oh, with him sure. since that time. Um, it doesn't mean that there's not still plenty of, of nervousness on Desmond's part uh, about his future, you know, his future role. I yeah. won't say his future with the organization in general, but just his future role um, because he, he is, you know, he's a, a high pressure guy. He puts a lot of pressure really on himself and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we want to, but we do wish nothing but the best for him because boy, if he can take a leap forward, if we, if to use that comparison that I used earlier, if he can go in 2017 and 18, like Gerardo Parra did in 2016 to 17, uh, that's going to be a huge, huge boost for the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, for sure. And, and listen, to kind of go back to your point about, you know, the conversations with Desi between Buddy and Desi, I think there was probably at least two separate occasions, if not three or four, you know, in the manager's meetings during spring training where Buddy, you know, kicks his feet up. He says, guys, Desi's going to play. He's going to play. They're not gonna. They're not gonna rush to any conclusions with Ian Desmond. I think that you know, it's like we were talking about, some of that added pressure is coming from the media, from the fans to see him produce, considering how much money he's making. But you know, we know Buddy Black. He's very laid back. He's very chill. He's willing to give the right guys the right opportunities, and you know that goes hand in hand with Ryan McMahon. You know, having to pay his dues per se, and you know, not get those opportunities right away. So it's definitely going to be interesting to play out or to see how it plays out. But for me, they have two. I don't want to say solid options, but two options that if they go the right way could be just incredible for this franchise. Yeah, the fear is that, you know, it's, it's the old notion of, of a goaltender or a quarterback, yeah. you know, a goalie in hockey or, or a quarterback. If you have two, you have none. Um, you know, I personally think they just need to pick one and stick with it. Yep. Um, and that's just my, my take. And whether that's Ian Desmond... Um, or or Ryan McMahon, I think I think you got to just you, you pick your you pick your guy and you roll with it. To me, that's Ian Desmond because how how can you not give every opportunity to a two time All Star, three time Silver Slugger that you are paying the highest per year uh, contract in club history? Yep. Uh, look, Ryan McMahon's feelings aren't going to be hurt <laughs> if he's benched for or or plays a bench role for this club uh, for a not guy like Ian Desmond. And, and in fact, it's probably going to be good for Ryan McMahon. I, I look at what. Pat Vileka is a great example of of how Pat Vileka blossomed last year uh, compared to the time prior when he was up uh, because he had the opportunity to learn and study and and not put so much pressure on himself to be an everyday type of performer. Um, I, I think there can be some very good things that come from that. We've got a lot of Rockies coverage on MileHighSports.com. I would be remiss if I did not mention it. Uh, Anilo obviously is, is spearheading a lot of that. You can read some of my work as well. Again, I am Casey Light. That is Anilo Piro. Uh, we thank you for joining us. You can find my piece on uh, comparing the Colorado Rockies to the 2003 Florida Marlins. That's uh, a good one. There's some interesting statistics there. If the Rockies are going to win a World Series this year, they have to do something that only the 2003 Florida Marlins have done this century. Uh, there is a great interview with Jason Hirsch from Afternoon Drive on Goodman and Shapiro. He tells you which Rockies youngster he thinks is going to take the next step forward, and I will tell you it is not Ryan McMahon. It is a young pitcher. Ronnie Court has a piece telling you three reasons why the Rockies will contend for the NL West and ultimately why they won't. Oh, Ronnie being a downer as always. No, Ronnie's a great guy and tons of optimism there. He's the man. Yep. Uh, we got a ton of great things uh, on milehighsports.com slash Rockies. We hope you will join us throughout the season there at Tap 14, 19, 20 Blake Street. Again, 1920 Blake Street. You can find them on Twitter at TapXIV or online at Tap14.com with those 70 Colorado beers on tap and 100 Colorado distilled spirits. I promise you will find a drink to your liking there 
on their terrific rooftop with views of downtown Denver and the Colorado Front Range. It is a great spot to catch a Rockies game before, after, or during Tap 14, the presenting sponsor of Blake Street Irregulars. Again, I am Casey Light. I thank you so much, Anilo Piro, for joining me today. We're going to be back at it tomorrow with a special edition as we look back on opening day. Make sure to check it out. This is the Blake Street Irregulars presented by Tap 14.